You know, when Pastor uh, asked me to preach on today, he told me I didn't have to really uh, stick with the series that he's doing. He's doing the Stories of Freedom series. But as soon as he asked me to preach on this Sunday, what God placed on my heart, immediately it just lines up with what he's already been preaching. So guess what? I'm preaching the next sermon on the Freedom Series, so the stories of freedom, should we say. And so, so far, pastor has preached on freedom from bondage, freedom from a critical spirit, freedom from a religious spirit. Pastor Jeff, remember, preached from or on freedom to choose, not always free. Then pastor preached from uh, freedom from the past, freedom from offense. And then last week he talked about freedom from perversion. Well, this morning I'm going to talk about freedom from deception. Freedom from deception. We're going to examine the growing deception in our present times and how we can walk in truth while the world continues being deceived. I want to begin by looking at the religious Jews of Jesus' first advent or his first coming. How did so many of them miss it the first time he came? And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Before we actually jump into it, you guys, if you've been around me long enough, you know I like to look up words. And so the first word I want to look at is this word deception. And it actually, it's only in the Bible a couple times, it's actually connected to the word deceived. And so a couple times it's been in the Bible as deceitful, deceitfully, false, guile, in other words, some type of treacherous plan, you know, trickery, feigned or fake. Craft or crafty, subtlety, and then lastly, treachery. Now that's from the Hebrew, from the Greek. Now here, very interesting. To cause to stray, to lead astray or lead aside from the right way. To lead away from the truth, to lead into error, to deceive. And there's more, but basically it's saying the same thing. Now, I looked it up in Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It says, to cause to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. Now, let's look at the word truth. In the Hebrew... Firmness, faithfulness, sureness, reliability, stability, continuance, reliableness, truth as spoken, as said of a testimony or judgment, also divine instruction. In the Greek, what is true in any matter under consideration of a truth in reality, in fact, what's certain. 
What is true in things appertaining to God and the duties of man, moral and religious truth. Merriam's Dictionary. The body of real things, events, and facts. A transcendent, fundamental, or spiritual reality. We're going to come back to that word reality. The body of true statements and propositions. Now, why am I going to such lengths to define deception and truth? I hope to make it plain with this example that I'm going to use here. How many computer nerds do we have in the building? Come on, don't be ashamed. It's a few of us. You know, there are several types of reality, actually two main types. Because I want to focus on, we read a lot of definitions about truth, but I want to focus in on that word reality. There are two types of reality related to using computers. You have what is called augmented reality. This is an interactive experience that combines the real world and computer-generated content. Basically, what you're doing is you're imposing software objects on a real-world environment. I remember um, being in the military. We do a lot of training. And what we try to do a lot of times is we try to simulate in a controlled environment what will happen in the real world. And one of the things that we'll try to do is we try to incorporate as much technology as we possibly can as long as it supports the objective. And so sometimes what you might see, and you may have seen this, somebody might have a pair of, it may not be a full set of glasses, you might see somebody with one glass. And in that one glass, they're doing training or exercises in a real world environment, but they're imposing things in that real world environment that simulates what they might face in the field. It's not complete virtual reality, which we're going to talk about here in a second. It's on, what it's doing is it's like how I see you guys right now, but in my glass, I may see things superimposed on the real live audience. Does that make sense? Augmented reality. But then you have what is called virtual reality. A three-dimensional computer-generated environment which can be explored and interacted with by a person. The person becomes part of that world and is able to manipulate objects in that world. And so basically, you have this full set of glasses on, and it's as if the world around you has disappeared and you are completely immersed in a simulated environment. Many times this can benefit training as well. Anybody ever dealt with virtual reality? I've, I've been, I had one person, they brought a computer to, to work and they hooked up some virtual reality glasses and said, so I tried, let me try this. It's as if you really feel like you could fall off the edge of a cliff. It is so real. It is so real. So we've talked about augmented reality and virtual reality. But I have what I call ultimate reality. Ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is truth as God defines it. In other words, 
What God says it is, that's what it is. We don't get to change it. We don't get to alter it. He is the ultimate reality. He is the ultimate truth. That's the reason why in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Here's what you got to understand. God doesn't have truth. He is truth. That's what you need to understand. This world where we have Folks are like, you have your truth, and I have my truth. And she has her truth. Well, if there is more than one truth, there's no truth at all. It's everyone's different perspective. And our perspectives, they're important. But our perspectives are to be bumped up against what God says. I'm teaching right now because we're talking about how to be free from deception. I actually could stop right now, but I got more. <laughs> Listen to the following verses in reference to God. Deuteronomy 32. Richard, I don't think you have this. Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Moses is the one who's written the book of Deuteronomy. The children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, but he can't because of God's judgment upon him for not obeying him. But he's given Israel final instructions. And in Deuteronomy 32, starting at verse 1, he says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. He's declaring the greatness of our God. And he's speaking it to the whole earth, not just to the nation. And he says that God is a God of truth. Go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. The psalmist, the psalmist here is David, and he has this statement. It says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So David establishes that God has a way. And his way is truth. 
And he prays to God, lead me in your ways, for with you is salvation. David understood this because before he became king, he needed God to be his salvation, his deliverer. Because he was constantly being chased by his enemies, especially King Saul. So David understood exactly what he was talking about when he said, Lord, lead me in your truth. Go to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. This is one of my favorite psalms because in the church that my family attended when I was growing up as a kid on the west side of Chicago. We had a pastor, Reverend Evans. Reverend, I can't remember his first name, but it was Reverend Evans. And this was one of his favorite psalms. He made all of us recite this psalm with him. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures through all generations. In other words, it does not matter what other people say. You know, there are different teachings and doctrines that come and go. But the word of our God is truth and it will stand forever. If we hold on to that, you, you should already be getting a hint about how to stay free from deception. Now, here's the thing that perplexes me. The Pharisees had these scriptures. They were teachers of the law. Many more I could show you that speak concerning the truth of God. When Jesus is walking the earth, listen to what he says to them. He says, and this is coming from John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. That you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So the question arises for me is, how did they miss Jesus? Why were they not willing to come to him? I believe that they were deceived in two ways. Go with me to John chapter 8. I'm kind of stealing from Pastor right now because he taught this during the first week when he started this freedom series. John chapter 8. And I'm going to start at verse 31. We're going to read down to verse 33. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? They deceived themselves into thinking that just because they were a descendant of Abraham, they automatically had eternal life and were granted interest into the kingdom. 
And because here is the problem. Well, actually, the problem is going to be revealed in the next passage that we read. But one of the things is that they thought that they could get in on their own righteousness. Because if you read down further, Jesus points out that if you sin, then you are slave to sin. Therefore, you need to be set free. But somehow, I guess they figured that they were exempt from that. But here is why I really, I think this is the clincher. This is why they were deceived. Go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Some background here. Jesus is raising or has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, you would think, now, here's the thing. Let me explain this a little bit. In John chapter 11, when Jesus first gets notice that Lazarus is sick, he says, okay, and he keeps going on about his business. He's in another town. He waits a day or two. Then he says, I must go visit Lazarus, for he sleeps. Well, they said, well, if he's sleeping, his disciples, if he's sleeping, then he's doing fine. He explained to them, he's dead. And so he goes to visit Lazarus to raise him from the dead. Here's the thing you have to understand. When he gets there and he greets Martha and Mary, Martha lets him know, Lord, he's been dead four days. Now, here is the thing. In Jewish thought, it was believed by them that the spirit may have remained or the soul may have remained in the body for three days. But once day four arrived, that was it. There's dead. There's no hope for them. They're done. And so it explains why Jesus waited. He didn't respond immediately because he was about to do something that was unheard of. Raise a person from the dead who had been dead four days. That's why I think it was Martha who said, Lord, he's been dead four days. His body stinks by now. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, he's done something no one else could do. Unheard of. has never been seen. Look at their reaction when the report breaks out about what Jesus did. Look at verse 45. I believe in this passage you'll see how deceived they were. Then many other Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Of course, if someone raises somebody who's been dead four days, they got something going on. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. There you have it. They were much more concerned about their place in Rome than they were about the fact that the Messiah, which the Hebrew scriptures have been prophesying, 
which they as the teachers of Israel should have been looking for, they were more concerned about their place in Rome than the fact that the Messiah was standing right before them. They were deceived. They were deceived. The lust or their position in this world was more important to them than actual eternal life. In fact, the reason why that was so is because they believed, you already got that. We're not worried about that. We're Jews. Not only are we Jews, we're Pharisees. Not only are we Pharisees, we're Pharisees of the Pharisees. We're part of the Sanhedrin. We're teachers of the law. We're teachers in Israel. Our position secures our place in God's kingdom. That's what they thought. They were deceived. This is the kind of effect that they had, not just amongst themselves, but on the people. Go to John chapter 7. John 7, we're going to read starting at verse 40. Now, in John chapter 7, Jesus has attended the Feast of Tabernacles. And as a part of the Feast of Tabernacles, he's at the temple and he's teaching, and he's, the people are marveling at his teaching. And in verse 40, it says, Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is that prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, or the Messiah. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Because the Pharisees had sent officers to them to, to, to where Jesus was in order to take him or arrest him. But they came back empty handed. Verse 47, then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for the, no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So they basically told those, look, they, here's the officers. I can understand the officers. We ain't never heard anybody speak like this guy. You have to understand, this was a time that was pregnant from the Messiah to come. There had, other, there had been other people who had claimed to be the Messiah. They had come and they had gone. So it wasn't like Jesus came out of nowhere. He, they were expecting that there would be a Messiah coming. So the officers who went to arrest him, they're listening to him and they're like, no man spake like this man. They're like, wow. And they go back and report to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are like, you don't see any of us following them. Are you deceived like the rest of that crowd? That's the kind of pressure they exerted 
on the people. That's why Jesus was so harsh with them. He said, you raise up people for, 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 to, to, to learn what you do, and you make them more child of hell than you are. That's the kind of pressure they exerted. And so not only were they deceived, but they were leading others in deception. Now, why is this such an important lesson for us? Because what I'm referring to right now is during Jesus' first coming, where we're anticipating his second coming. So why is this so important to us now? Because in Matthew 24, Jesus gives us some signs. Go to Matthew 24. I think I told you to do that earlier. We're finally getting to it. Matthew 24. A little background here. Jesus is constantly being confronted by these Pharisees. They're seeking to trap him, to trip him up, for him to give them a reason to arrest him and eventually kill him. If you read throughout the Gospels, you'll see in certain places where the scripture says they were plotting to have him killed. So Jesus is dealing with all of this. And what's really happening, they don't understand what's going on. God is bringing to a close what he's done according to the Hebrew scriptures under the law and opening up the new and living way in Christ himself. That's the reason why Jesus says what he's about to say here in Matthew 24. Let's read the first couple of verses. Verse 1, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. The temple at that time was this magnificent structure. Not only did you have the temple proper, but you had all of these extravagant buildings that surrounded it. So it was like, wow, it was like the Taj Mahal, if you will. Now, some of y'all might be too young to know what the Taj Mahal is, but look it up. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Hold up. Now, Jesus, the, Jesus has just got through in this confrontation with the Pharisees. And I get the feeling that this is just me speculating. I get the feeling that Jesus is kind of hyped. So, after he got through with his confrontation with the Pharisees, I think what, he, what the disciples were wanting to do, let's kind of get him calmed down a little bit. Get him to, to kind of relax. So Jesus, look at these magnificent buildings that surround the temple. And Jesus' response, there's not one stone that's not going to be left upon another. Can you imagine the disciples? What are you talking about? They're like, whoa. What Jesus is doing is prophesying the destruction of the temple. And as far as Israel is concerned, you destroy the temple, you might as well destroy the nation. And Jesus is prophesying its destruction. Look at their response to Jesus because they know, okay, he's, he's on a whole different wavelength. We got a couple questions for him. 
Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus' response, what's the first thing he points out? Verse 4, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. And he's speaking particularly about the last days, the end of the age. That's in verse 4. Look at verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Another verse that speaks concerning deception. Skip down to verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Skip down to verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That's how great the deception will be, is that it could even deceive, if possible, God's elect. It has to be pretty strong deception. Now, as we approach the end of the age, the pressure to conform to the norms of the world is going to grow greater and greater. We're seeing that now in our nation and across the globe. Now, if I step on anyone's toes here, sorry. Climate change. That's being heavily pushed. And I'm not trying to get political. I'm just telling you the truth. That's being heavily pushed. I'm going to propose this idea to you. What the world is calling climate change, the Bible refers to the earth being in travail, awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. That's right. Give him praise. Is it possible that that's what we're seeing? Pastor, I already kind of touched on this last week, transgenderism. Man, it got quiet in here when I said that. People, what they're, I, I, you know, I, I tend to be kind of outspoken. And I, I, I was telling folks at work, I was like, they're really, when you talk about transgenderism, what they're actually asking us to do or actually trying to tell us to do is to suspend reality. It's as if they're creating a virtual world. How many of you have seen the, the movie, and I know, well, you don't have to raise your hand. I saw it. The movie, The Matrix. Where, oh, some people did raise their hands. <laughs> Where they're trying to share with the main character the fact that the world they're living in is really not the real world. Well, that's actually what we're beginning to see. We're witnessing what I call the matrix. They're creating a world 
that is contrary to the truth of God. And the problem is, is that so many people are falling for it. I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. How far have we fallen when the issue of homosexuality has become passe? Think about that. We don't even talk about that anymore. That's how far our society is falling. Paul talks about the great deception that is coming. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is speaking to the saints at Thessalonica. And what he wants to do is clear up a concern that they have. We're not going to focus so much on the concern he's clearing up. That's for another teaching right there. But what we're going to focus on is the deception that he brings up. Starting at verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one who will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's that ride that pastor referred to just a few minutes earlier. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now there are several things to point out here. First, Satan will work through the lawless one. The lawless one is the Antichrist, performing signs and wonders that deceive. Now, here is the thing. These will be real signs and wonders, not fake. The deception does not lie in the sign or the wonder. The deception lies in the source. Who is or who are they pointing to or who are the signs pointing to? Second thing, those who fall for this deception 
are those who refuse the love of the truth, just as many of the Jews did when Messiah or Christ came the first time. They were deceived when Christ came the first time, and right before he returns the second time, there is going to be great deception. The Bible I read earlier even mentions the fact that there's going to be a falling away. Now, here's the part that might get you a little bit. Shockingly, it is God who will send the strong delusion that they believe the lie because they refuse to believe the truth. Here is the thing that's important for us, especially those of us who preach or who teach, is that we present a balanced picture of our God. Yes, he's the God that loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for our sins. But that very same God says that if you refuse my judgment in my son and what he paid for, then judgment will come upon you. And it says here, God is the, the one who sends the strong delusion. Because they refuse the love of the truth. Actually, this passage is very similar to something Paul wrote earlier. Go to Romans 1. I think Pastor touched on this last week. Pastor, uh, Pastor, Romans 1. <laughs> Verse 18. I want you to read this. Now hear this. I'll do the reading. <laughs> it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were, un, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. I remember, some of you may know Pastor Tony Evans up in Dallas. I remember him teaching on this passage, and he, he uncovered something that I had never really gotten until he Shared this. We often look at what's happening in the world 
and we say the judgment of God is coming. But when you read this passage of scripture, it says that as a result of them rejecting God and the truth, God gives them over. So in a way, judgment is already here. Judgment is here. We in America, and it's not just America, it's the whole world. The whole world is giving themselves over to this which tells us that the return of God is near. So what should we do to be free from the deception that is unfolding and the great deception that is coming? Go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because Paul gives us the answer. Paul doesn't just talk about the problem. He gives us the solution. Look at verse 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Paul says, remain standing fast. Fast. In other words, do not be moved by the currents and the waves of the larger society because we are a part of another kingdom. What can happen to the believer is that we can forget that not only are we saved, but we are a part of another kingdom with another way of living, another rule of law, if you will. That's how come, and I think, was it last week, Pastor, you were pounding home. You've got to be in this word. You've got to not only be in this word, but you have to stay in this word. Because as the times grow darker and more evil, if you are not in the word of God, you are going to be carried because you're going to be taking something in. I wish I could turn my brain off and say, okay, you just rest. Don't think. Don't do anything. No, you are constantly taking in information, especially in our technology-driven society now. And so you have to be proactive. You cannot be a passive person in this day and time. You have to be aggressive about what goes in your eye gate and what doesn't go in. You have to be very aggressive about what comes in your ears and what does not come in your ears. 
Because the pressure to conform is going to get greater and greater and greater and greater. It's not going to let up. And so we have to prepare ourselves because what we're doing is keeping ourselves from deception. It may cost us our job. It may cost us all that we own. It may even cost you family members or even your life. But here is what we have to understand. There is nothing in this present time that you are going to take with you in the age to come except your soul. So it is not worth holding on to. Not if holding on to it, whatever it is, means that I deny my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It just may come down to this. You go to places like Iran, China, that's exactly how they live every day. And what's so powerful about how they live, they look at us here in America, get this, y'all. They want to send missionaries here to America because what they say is, America, y'all ain't ready. You're not ready. They live like this every day. And so we really have to start because we don't know. Think about it. This is 2023. If you'd have told me in 2013 that we would be dealing with some of the issues that we're dealing with now, I'd have laughed at you. Like, no, no way. And I'm not going to get into those issues because then I'd be accused of getting political. But you know what they are. So it's time for us to do as the Apostle Paul told us to do. Stand fast. Stand fast on the word of God. Do not be moved. We need to be like this. And here's where we're going to end. Go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, one of my favorite psalms. Verses 1, I'm probably read down to verse 3. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The word scornful, it might say mockers, those who mock the truth. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Just substitute the word law for God's instruction. He shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. A tree. Anybody ever seen any like them big redwoods and stuff? It doesn't look like anything's going to knock those things, those trees down. That's how God wants us to be. That's how he expects us to be. 
But the only way that we're going to be like that is that we stay in his word, we stay on our knees, and we continue to come together as a body of believers, lifting up the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.